the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in wine and space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 71. Doctor Who, The Stones of Blood. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And today we move on to The Stones of Blood, the third story from the Doctor Who Key to Time season from 1978. Also the 100th Doctor Who story. It is. And the Doctor Who story that was transmitted closest to the 15th anniversary. Why have we selected this? We've selected this because of the many stories, as we're chatting, say, oh, we must do Kinder, we must do Nightmare of Eden, we must do Tim the Cybermen, or whatever. Um, we've mentioned Stones of Blood about three or four times. Hmm. It is easily my favourite of the key to times. It's about time to do it, yeah. Mm. Um, one of us mentions the first Romana quite a lot. Well, we both do, just in differing ways. I refer to her as the most beautiful woman I can remember seeing in Doctor Who, and you refer to her as looking like a drag queen. I didn't queen. say looking like. I said certainly in the rebus operation she dresses like one <laughs> because it's... Over the top and flouncy and excessively feminised and not in any way practical for actually walking around places and adventuring. Moving that to one side, we'll get to that later on in the podcast. Let's get out the tonic screwdriver. Indeed. What we have for today is another of the tasting samplers from my, from my wee sister. And this is the Rock Rose Gin the original edition. So the little bit of info that they give us says that it's an aromatic, floral, smooth, yet complex gin with an impressive 18 botanicals, five of which are native to the area, but it doesn't tell you where the area is. It's vibrant and packed with fruity berries, citrus and sweet notes, balanced with floral rhodiola rosea to give a beautiful depth of flavour and full of character. Do you think that's fair? I mean, I think a load of these Things sound like a load of claptrap, but They're, unfortunately, they are. It's um, it's very pleasant, but there's nothing leaping out to me that it's distinctive. If that was put in front of me anywhere, I would be happy with it. It's very nice, but it, there's nothing about it that would put it in my mind as one to definitely revisit. I must come back to that or rush out and buy any more of it. But that's not to say it's bad. I just I just don't think there's anything exceptional about it. I'd give it three burners, I think. Really? Because I, I think this is lovely. It's got quite a, a, a sort of woody under undertaste mm. to it. It's a bit like that Scottish gin we did that had the, the pine notes mm. to it. It's not quite pine, but it's got that sort of woody flavour to it. I think this is really nice and well worth a four. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the three. It's... Again, I know we don't give half Bernard's, but it's a high three. We're just not sneaking into four territory. Four is one that I would actively look out. But uh, no, there's nothing blowing me out of the water with that one. It's just very, very nice. I, I think it's lovely. Definitely worthy of a four. They're very hit and miss, the taster box. But when they hit, they're really... Um... Have we ever had a particularly bad one from the taster box? Yes, although I can't remember what it is. Yeah, I don't think either of us really... It wasn't... Well, it's not of the order of the tea gin. Nothing's the order of magnitude that uh, would lead me to award one Bernard. That really shouldn't have got any Bernards at all. Um, so, not quite into negative Bernards. No, not, not quite. Bring your glass and we'll go into the archive and uh, see what we've got. I'm going to pull out 
something to do. It's a Doctor Who, because whenever we do Doctor Whos, I tend to plump for missing Who. Today, I'm going to go for Revelation of the Daleks. There is one word missing from the very end of part two that I'd like to see, just because it isn't there. Blackpool. They cut Colin Baker's line. Oh, yes. And they've lost it. Because it was supposed to be... It was supposed to go on to Nightmare Fair, wasn't it? Yeah. And then then it was the hiatus. Kind of glad it didn't, to be honest. I've read the novel of Nightmare Fair, and it's not great. Um, And I don't particularly like the Celestial Toymaker. Well... I don't think they did anything particularly worthy with the Celestial Toymaker. Big Finish have tried to redeem it in the way that Big Finish do, and he's just not a very particularly interesting character. The Nightmare Fair, well, nothing to do with Revelation of the Daleks, really, but the Nightmare Fair, they've, they've adapted that season for audio. And there are some real little gems in there, actually. There's, um, uh, I can't, it's been a, a few years since I've listened to them, but I do remember enjoying them thinking, these would have worked quite well on telly, actually. Isn't there an Ice Warriors one? Yes, it's um, Mission to Magnus, that one with Syl. And Nabil Shaban puts in a splendid performance. He's, he's, the years have just rolled away. It, it would have been lovely to see that season on telly. I think it would have worked. Not quite sure how much of Blackpool Pleasure Beach would have actually figured in the story, because it's only a couple Because it's, of, a, it's all set in a, a warehouse with computer games, isn't it? It is, and underneath um, one of the, the rides. So... Pleasure Beach bit was sort of incidental, really, but yeah, but yeah, it was it was a nice lead-in, and it's a missing bit of who, and I want to, I've always wanted to see it. What about yourself? Well, I, I generally generally steer away from Doctor Who on the mm. Black Archive, but I've rewatched episode two of the Abominable Snowman, and I would really love to see the rest of that story, mm. especially now that we've got five out of six episodes of the Web of Fear that just looks fantastic and now that we've got that you can see that the the yeti aren't this dreadful shambling mm. lumbering thing that doesn't really move very very much and isn't terribly menacing i'd like to see more of the yeti i'd like to see more of the monastery because the sets in that are absolutely beautiful so i'm going to put in the abominable snowman excellent as with all of the missing who's i've got the soundtracks beautifully cleaned up and restored by Mark Ayers it's never been one that I've been particularly gripped by oh you see I quite often do the two Yeti back to back yeah you're a big fan of those stories I know we should do Web of Fear because I've still never seen it we have actually discussed this I know but it's probably Gen Amnesia playing up again not fair enough let's shut the door on this and go and watch Stones of Blood No, no, no. We have another little thing to do. Oh, no. And you were, you were hoping that I'd forgotten about this. Yeah. Quiz. <laughs> the original plan was that we were each going to prepare some quiz questions, but Ken's a professional quiz master mm. and spent half his life preparing quiz questions, so hasn't bothered to do this. No, I, I've just not had time, and Simon has re- uh, reminded me uh, about five minutes ago, you have prepared, and uh, of course I haven't. So... In a bit of a role reversal, Simon is going to ask me 10 true or false questions. And uh, this is where I get shown up a little bit. Are you ready? As I'll ever be. Okay, these are true or false. And the first five are about the Stones of Blood. So, first question. The story is set on Boscombe Moor in Dorset. Balls. I haven't seen this for years. I'm going to say true. False. False. It's set in Boscombe Moor in Cornwall. <laughs> God, I missed by one county. Next. Two counties, because Devon's in between. 
I've lived in all three counties, so I, I vaguely know my geography around there. Okay. Kaliach means old woman or hag in Gaelic. I have a feeling that is true. Yeah, true. It's true. Yeah. Next question. Diana Rigg was the first choice for Vivian Fay. It sounds too obvious. I'm going to say false. False. It was actually on a Blackman. Mm. So another Avengers girl, but... Next question. This is one of only two classic stories since Frontier in Space that Dick Mills did not provide special sound for. True. It is true. For a bonus mm. point, do you know what the other one is? I'm trying to think. Plant of Evil. I never would have got that, no. Okay. Right, so the final Stones of Blood question. Elaine Ives Cameron, who plays Martha in this story, also played Ms. Lavish in the Big Finish production The Stones of Venice. That name doesn't ring a bell from the credits. I'm going to say false. True. Is it? Hmm? Well, there you go. And then I have the next five, which are on Quatermass. Next five are on Quatermass. First Quatermass question. Monica Gray. And do we know who Monica Gray played? Paulus Television answering services. Hello. (laughs) Okay, so Monica Gray was one of the actors in the first episode of The Archers. True. True. She played Grace Fairbrother from the first episode in 1950 until the role was taken over by Isane Churchman in 1952. Yeah, and then she died in a fire, a terrible fire in a barn. Yeah, this fact is completely unrelated to the fact that Monica Gray was the wife of the BBC's head of radio drama. (laughs) Next question. Andre Morel was the original choice for Quatermass in the Quatermass experiment, but turned the role down, only to take it up for Quatermass in the pit. False, I think. I think he was courted for the second one, but I don't think that's true of the first. It's true. Is it? Yep. He, oh, if only. He worked with Randolph Cartier on a, uh, a play called Is It Midnight, Dr. Schweitzer? And he was so impressed by Andre Morel, he offered him the role of Quatermass. I don't know why he didn't take it up. And Reginald Tate, who I think was also in that he, play, was offered the role instead. Just as an aside, I've enjoyed all the Quatermasses, although I really wish Andre Morel had been in all four. Yeah, what a pity. So, next question is another Andre Morel. True or false? He trained as a motor engineer before becoming an actor. True. True. Next question. Another Quatermass 2 question. The factory scenes in Quatermass 2 were filmed at the Shell Refinery in Dorset. Um, we've had this before. I don't think they were. The exteriors were all model shots, I think, but the interiors... And again, something's flickering in the back of my mind about the production notes. True. False. Bollocks. I think they were filmed in the uh, the boiler room of the BBC TV centre, which was under construction at the time. Now, I think there were some external sequences of the um, the factory when they're doing that factory visit that are, are filmed at a, um, an oil refinery, but not the scenes within the factory. Right. Or oh, the memory cheat thing, because I thought that they were all model shots. Right. No, because do you not remember that's the bit where he's... Um, on the beach, because they see it in the distance, don't they, when they're on And the there's beach. the bloke where, where the bloke gets covered in that food and it's dissolving him mm. and he staggers down that staircase. Okay, final question. The Quatermass experiment was listed on the BFI's TV100 list in the year 2000. I really can't see why not. True. False. Quatermass in the pit was, and that came in at number 75, but it's the only one of the Quatermass serials that did. Well, I've done remarkably badly. This is the... Five out of ten. Dreadful. Uh, one of the perils of being a quizmaster is that everyone thinks that you're 
a ringer to get on your team and it, you'll do fantastically well. You're only as good as the questions you ask. And if you don't... Oh, know, so it's my fault. No, no, no. You, you, as I've said many times before, your knowledge of uh, TV is encyclopedic compared to mine. I'm coming to this uh, with blissful ignorance, just enjoying the ride. Five out of ten for the first... We, we should make this a regular segment where you quiz me because uh, I can lie on a squeaky leather sofa with gin and piss about. Stood us pretty well. So it far. stood us very well for 15 years and counting. Shall we... Uh, Shall we crack on with crack part on. one of Stones of Blood? Are we going to have it with infotext? Naturally. Here we are. 100th adventure. Announced on the continuity, it seems. Yeah, and there was supposed to be a scene in it where... Um, Lorana and K9 surprised me with a birthday cake and Graham Williams thought it was too frivolous. Of all things. <laughs> I recently listened to Mary Tam's autobiography, First Generation, and um, she made reference to this. They spent an awful lot of time, her and John Leeson and, K- and Tom Baker, they'd worked quite hard on getting this scene right. And it sounded like it was at quite an advanced stage in terms of... Um, even ordering the cake. Well, they they ordered it. Mm. A prop was originally made in, in wooden segments and then cast in, cast in resin. Could be wrong. I think Andrew Beach has got the set of the uh, prop now. It has wasn't there? Wasn't there some um, wind up of him uh, with Colin Baker? Um, and there, there was some sort of celebrity auction that he was along to, and they they brought out the original key to time, and he was he was basically saying, "You can't auction that; it's mine." I don't know. That's yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was a... Unless my brain is completely making things up, but I I seem to remember it was a, a, a wind-up thing that was on telly. Those, those robes, they look a little bulky. They also almost look as though they're made out of that very stiff fire-retardant material yes. that you get. Although considering they're waving around flaming torches, it's probably not a bad idea. Doctor Who does this whole uh, Middle England countryside stuff very well. It's very runny for blood. Yeah, it is actually. Maybe they had some sort of galloping haemophilia, the people that they'd uh, harvested it from. Actually, you can hear Miss Lavish in that, can't you? Yeah, you can, yes. Well, how do I look? Ravishing. That Burberry. Yes. Now that I have to say, I have to say, wasn't particularly drag queenly. Although those are. <laughs> oh right, the scene with Gerald Cross as the White Guardian replaced the birthday cake scene. I did not know that. Look, I only want to know about our mission. After all, what would I do if something happened to you? I suppose you have a point. Yes, I don't really think it's fair. Well, you are not sent on this mission. He does do introspective and sort of chatting to himself very well. I saw, he told me. The voice you just heard and the being you saw in the shape of the president was the White Guardian of the entire universe. Just reading the production notes here, Graham Williams, who is um, widely regarded as a a somewhat whimsical producer, or his time, certainly his period of the show is whimsical, vetoed the, the birthday cake scene that it wasn't entirely serious. 
The candles on the cake will cons- uh, constitute a fire risk in the studio, and that the doctor mustn't eat anything because it would indicate that he went to the toilet. Yeah, but I mean, it's often said that um, the most serious productions are comedy. And there is certainly more humour in this, this bit of uh, Doctor Who. Is it regarded as particularly whimsical because it comes after the Hinchcliffe era? I don't think by this point it was particular. The, the key to time season, I can't look at and think it was uh, silly. I think when you get to the, the next oh, season, crawl. I thought it was just poor production values, really. There were some, as I've mentioned before about the power of crawl, there were some nice underlying themes in that. But the following season, when you get things like the horns of Naimon and the creature from the pit, which I've not seen for a long time, but the Nightmare of Eden, Eden, which they're getting very quite I really like Nightmare of Eden. Again, some nice themes, but Tom Baker was given far too much free reign by that point. And um, there you go, serial set in Cornwall. Although recorded in North Oxfordshire. Well, yeah, it's the roll rights that they use. The what? Roll rights don't. It's near Oxford. Oh, yes, sorry. Judging from the camera, uh, it was pissing down that day. And they could only record on one day because they had to close the roads. Because there's a road that drives mm. right past them. As I said, I've not seen this for quite a few years, but there's, as with all of the Doctor Who DVDs, there's some wonderful extras. And I do remember on, on one of the interviews of the documentaries, it's pointed out that all the exterior shots done on videotape, which was quite unusual for the time. Most OB stuff was done on film. And that was the director's choice because he didn't want a, a jar between the feel of outside and the feel of inside shots. Personally speaking, I think it looks, it works quite well. Yeah. But it, it wasn't universally loved. I, I read that when I was reading up on this. And the, the thing that uh, I also found out when I was reading about that is that all of the Sontaran experiment was done on OB. Yeah, on uh, video. video. Sontaran experiment was only the second story that was completely filmed on location, either mm-hmm. being... Spearhead from Space. Now, Spearhead from Space was completely done on film, which is why we've now been able to get Blu-ray of it. Mm. Oh, Beatrix Lehman. Oh, I mean, she's a wonderful character. She's not quite as wonderful as the loony, loony old trout, but not far off. Mm. See, Tom Baker wanted her to stop on as a companion. I honestly think that if, if she'd been in it, I don't know whether that particular character would have worked because it's there's a lot of the dotty stuff he's just too dotty I think it would have she would have they, they would have had to tighten her up to a point where that whimsy would have been lost to a point but I do think the idea of an older companion works terribly well it says the man who's just slagged off series 11 and Graham but Graham's not an older companion he's in his 50s I mean she's what she was in her 70s when she did this a companion late 60s, early 70s, brilliant, bring it on. I think it would be a, a lovely difference. I mean, look at him, he doesn't know what to do, he's not a clue, he's lost. And she also mentions Lemington Smythe, who is um, referenced again in one of the Big Finish audios when they're doing archaeology. The Spectre of Lanyon Moor. Yes. I know you're not a huge... It's one of the better ones. No, it isn't. There, there are Big, fl- big Finish... Stories that I thoroughly enjoyed. Spectre of Lanyon Moore is not one of them. Oh, she was in the Lotus Eaters. Oh, yes, of course she was. We'll have to do the Lotus Eaters at some point. Absolutely. 
Ian Hendry and Wanda Ventham set on Crete, I think. There were, there were a series of dramas in the, the 70s that were all set on different Medi- uh, different Mediterranean islands. Mm. And there's one on Rhodes, there's one on Crete, there's one on, on Cyprus. One of them was the Aphrodite inheritance that we were talking about when we were doing the, the Champions. Oh, right. Alexandra Bastido stars in it. That's worth watching then. But we're, we're segueing a bit. Just for a change. Doesn't offer a seat or anything. No, don't be daft. Yes, no element that you may actually have a, want to have a choice about this or have other things that you might like to do. No, it's just you're here and not doing anything, so therefore you'll do what I want you to do, which is a fairly typical academic attitude, yes. I have to say. She spent the entire time sitting down watching them work. Why does she need a breather? I guess they had trained crows for this, didn't they? That, you've got me there. I don't know. There you go. All locations, the crows were done um, on farmland on the same day. And I'm pretty sure they were trained crows. Little beaky thespians. He's terribly hammy, isn't he? Chewing the scenery. Great big gobbets. British Institute of Druidic Studies. Oh, I remember this. As a prank, the students made the TARDIS prop dematerialise one night. Mary Tam, again in her autobiography, she said she was amazed to find there was only one TARDIS prop. There was no backup, no spare, and it was in a tatty state. And um, At this point, would it still have been the original one? No, this was an Ubery prop by this point. Was it Sarah Jane? It, uh, Liz Sladen, Liz Sladen apparently, yeah. I think it was in Seeds of Doom, I think. And, yeah... The, the Never student... noticed a little spider on the on his brazier before. Mm. The only thing I'll say about all this video work, they could have focused the camera. It's all a little bit indistinct. Uh, perhaps they're expecting Barbara Bain to drop by. What I've always thought about these scenes is it's a very lavish set for what is basically a few scenes. And it does look very much like a set rather than anything location. Really? Yeah. Because that's not a picture outside that window. It's not a picture, but it, it looks like set dressing. I'm watching very carefully now. Are you sure? No, not anymore. Look at that. Look at the, the path. And... I mean, I, I always assumed that they filmed this in whatever building they were go- he was going up to. Of course, you can't tell the difference between film and video for the OB work because well, it was all done on video. Oh, yes, yeah. Although that, that floor that looks very... Look. And actually, if it if it was filmed on location, you'd kind of expect the production notes to say what the location yeah. was. But it's a testament to the BBC sets department that we can't definitively say either way. I'd still err on the side of studio, but... I, it, it could always have been for uh, another production and mm. they just borrowed it for a day. just because you know what she's going to turn out to be that she seems to come across as a little ingratiating 
All the crows using the cereal, including these four, were trained birds. My recollection was that they were they were stunt animals. Because that's that's a very well behaved bird. It is. Smoking and drinking sherry, you'd never get that today. No, Sherry's terribly frowned on. Of all the doctors, there's Tom Baker and John Pertwee I can comfortably see as the two with a glass in their hand. I think that's got a lot to do with John Pertwee and Tom Baker rather than the doctor. Oh, no, you can see Eccleston stopped her with a pint. True. Capaldi did look very good with a glass of whiskey. McGann with a, with a, a, a nice claret or something. You could see William Hartnell with a, uh, with a hip flask. Oh, I'd say more Patrick Troughton with the hip flask than Hartnell, particularly in the fur coat. Yeah. Chew, chew, chew. To be fair, she he walks into that house with a bad attitude and immediately sets to work winding up the people that have welcomed him into the house. Yeah. So... It's not really a surprise that he gets a cold welcome. There's a difference between being shown the door and being clouted over the back of the head. Mm, to um, be fair, yeah, it's not terribly English. Oh yes, um, this is the cliff edge thing, and that uh, Tom Baker didn't want, want to do it because he didn't want the doctor to be seen as threatening. Mm. It's not the most convincing cliffhanger I've ever seen, but episode one one cliffhangers often aren't great. Because you know, really it's not to say that there aren't good ones. Actually, it's better than I remember. Yeah, and she gives that scream. All she's been yeah, she does. She? These are great stories to watch back to back on cold winter's days when the weather's terrible. Specifically, sort of the Christmas break, that sort of period. Another thing added to your Christmas watching list. Christmas is going to end up being... Because it it does sound as though you spend most of December... Planning my viewing. Watching the... Oh, yes, I watch this every Christmas. I watch this every Christmas. I watch this every Christmas. My Christmas has to start in July because there's so much stuff that I watch every Christmas. It's getting that way. I'm guessing by showing you the Signalman hasn't helped It's not helped in the slightest, yeah. That's that's gone on the list. Has Podge and Rog gone on the list? Not yet, but it should, really. (laughs) Right, so moving on through episodes two and three, which I'll get it out of the way straight away... Contains one of the best scenes in Doctor Who history for me, which is sausage sandwiches. Amelia Rumford's sausage sandwiches, they've gone down in history for me. She's a marvellous character. Yeah. I could quite happily see her aboard the TARDIS. They tried it with Evelyn and it really worked. Although Evelyn wasn't uh, in her 70s. Professor Rumford and Mrs Tyler. The loony old trout. It sounds like an ITC series. Rumford and Tyler investigate. With a theme tune by John Barry or... Ron Grainer or something. Anyway, dragging La- us back. Lalo Schifrin, you can just see them with a Mission Impossible type theme to you. Dragging us back to two and three of the Storms of Blood. Give us a brief rundown. Humble, great one, come. 
There are times when the forces within the universe upset the cosmic balance so badly that the entire universe is in danger of eternal chaos. Have I got a treat in store for you, Romana? Cadillac demands blood. So where, where is she? Why isn't she here? She will come. No, no! Prepare yourself to die, Doctor. Goodbye. Quite a bit happens in the um, the middle two episodes. So we left Romana. It was almost a double cliffhanger, wasn't it? Because we it was. left Romana uh, just having fallen off a cliff, being lured there by the voice of the Doctor. Uh, the Doctor himself had been clocked over the head by De Vries on the uh, the instruction of the Kaliak or a woman in a, a bird costume, a flancy owl costume, and De Vries and his. Wife, girlfriend, living bit on the side. Strumpet, yeah. Martha. Anyway, take the do- the unconscious doctor to the uh, the stone circle where they're going to sacrifice him. He wakes up and starts arguing with them. They argue between them and are then scared off by the arrival of Professor Rumford, who unties the doctor. They realise that they don't know where Romana is, so the doctor gets canine from the TARDIS. They locate Romana, who initially doesn't trust the doctor too much because he lured her off a cliff. But trust trust K9 enough to to say this is actually the Doctor. Um, And they realise that there must have been some sort of use of the powers of the the third segment of the Mm. the key to time to manipulate the the voice and appearance of the Doctor. Meanwhile, the Stones, the Ogri, silicon-based alien that have been woken up by giving them blood, are wandering around a wee bit peckish. They've squished Martha and De Vries, but that, that's not really enough for them. So they they wander around the countryside and they, they, they munch their way through a couple of campers. Vivian Fay wakes up a, a, another couple from the the stone circle. Canon gets damaged fighting off one of the Ogri. The Doctor takes him back to the, uh, the TARDIS while he's sorting Canine out. Romana is in the stone circle and Miss Fay arrives in her owl costume mm. and point the staff that she carries at Romana, who disappears and that's the end of episode two that's that's quite a good cliffhanger it is that works quite well part three is a a little less busy just after romana's disappeared the doctor and professor rumford turn up and vivian Fay tells them that she'll be safe as long as they stop interfering doctor realizes that romana and vivian Fay must have gone to hyperspace so he builds himself a, a projector. So he arrives there, frees Romana and breaks open the seal on a, on a door. And then we see the Megara Ultra 2 floaty, glistening, lighty things that are, are justice machines with very irritating voices. They are. And it's, uh, General Cross provides the voice of one of them who did the White Guardian voice in part one. Even Tom Baker at the time, I seem to remember, thought that it was getting away with it on the cheap. When they saw them on the screen, they were told that they'd be these floaty things and... They say that because it's against the law to break the seal, the Doctor has broken the law and must be tried and executed. K9 has teamed up with Professor Rumford and they're trying to use this projector thing. Vivian Fay comes back, destroys the projector, but can't bring herself to uh, to kill Professor Rumford. She and the Ogre go back to the ship in hyperspace and the cliffhanger is her telling uh, the Doctor and Romana that she's destroyed their linking device and that they're trapped in hyperspace forever. So that's, that's less exciting a cliffhanger. Yeah. Which is a pity because episode three cliffhangers are generally fairly good. They they're, are usually. Because they, they're, they're the big lead into the um, the final episode. You particularly enjoy the scenes with K9 and 
Romford. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, that's much more an episode four thing mm. where they're um, trying to rebuild the projector. Um, but I, I think they they work brilliantly together. And you're talking about Professor Rumford becoming a companion. In episode four, she's pretty much canine's companion. Yeah. If at the end, the Doctor said, why don't you come along with us? Then she, she might have said, well, no, actually, I've got my academic career and everything. If canine had said, why don't you come along with us? And because she'd made a bond with him, then yeah. I think she might have said yes. Yeah, the companions that never were. She's definitely one of them. Still say Frank Skinner's the other. I like the idea of Rumford and Tyler, though. A race to dementia first. <laughs> Which one of them's going to go oh, quickly? <laughs> touch of the Count Arthur Strong. <clears throat> oh, the soup over. I digress. The what? The soup over. That was a Count Arthur Strong episode. I've seen one episode of it. I absolutely hated it because it's ripping the piss out of somebody with dementia. The, the radio series is much more obvious than the TV series. My, my brother-in-law forced us to listen to a couple of episodes of the, of the radio series years ago, and every doctor in the family, because both my folks are, are medics, every doctor in the family had exactly the same opinion. It's pointing and laughing at somebody who has dementia. Well, you'll be pleased that it's been cancelled. There'll be no more. Should we lower your blood pressure by watching part four of this? I'm just thinking we should do a white archive of things that exist that we wish didn't. <laughs> Here is you, you vetoed. When I, well, I got the black archive originally <laughs> was meant to be stuff that we would cast into the pit for. Yeah, it was going to be the Satan pit. pit, wasn't it? You weren't for... You know, that's too negative. We can't do this. And yes. this is a white archive. Yes, but when it's my idea. <laughs> yes, the yin and yang only focuses in one direction. Oh, forget all this. <laughs> Play the DVD. Play the disc. There's something just immensely comforting about this title sequence. Even watching these when they were on omnibus repeat on UK Gold, Sunday morning, they were great. Oh, well, that, that's, that's a look. Oh. It's quite a nice lighting effect. The director's first job was in, um, on Quite a Mess 2. He is ours. He is ours. Afterwards, you may have them. I don't think the Megara effects are particularly bad. Okay, they look a little bit cheap, but... Now, on the subject of Drag Queen of the Week... I'm going to give you this one. I don't know what the hell that costume is. I've not seen this for a few years. I mean, With the benefit of... It's quite a nice little set, that, isn't it? Mm. Oh. I mean, that, that... Towel on the head and the barely contained breasts. And the, the, the silver body paint. It's a little bit of a sort of watered-down Eldrad. Yes. Although the weird headscarf thing is... The spaceship stuff never really works as well as the uh, the Earth-based stuff. No. Perhaps because there's no Professor Rumford. So there you are. You see, that's her becoming his yeah. companion. And some of the legal stuff is just a bit jokey. Mm. Kind of in the same way that the financial stuff in the Sunmakers was. Yeah. Your Honour, I 
I'm sure that my witness wishes to withdraw that last remark, don't you? <laughs> Isn't that what they call leading the witness? Might be. <laughs> So this is the hyperspace projector, which was completely melted previously and now looks... Pristine. Yeah. So is it, has all that been made by Tat that she has about her cottage? Obs, yes. Because you... I didn't see anything, I don't know I call Miss Fay. No, but I know nothing, Your Honour. It is the law. Oh, green. That means that somebody in the wardrobe apartment... Have to just stand there spraying her tits. They are covered. Even wardrobe departments have to have a, allow a basic margin of error for slippage. That's kind of the makeup department's job. Nice work if you can get it. So how is she going to get back if they've uh, wrecked the projector thing? Gloss over these things. I have noticed, particularly when you were just recapping episodes two and three. Some of the things that you were saying, even though they are on screen, if that had been any other programme, we would have ripped the piss out of that mercilessly. We just gloss over it with who? We, we do rip the piss out of bits of it. Ah, that's how she gets back. She wasn't running very fast, was she? No, that was... Mind you, you see, this is the problem with your idea of having her as a companion. It would be wonderful until the point where she had to, to run somewhere or do something physical. Correct. Zapped immediately by her. Pretty much. I mean, having said that, some of the, some of the historical stories, she'd be very good. And as an archaeologist, she'd be marvellous at it. Control landscape is a painted backdrop. Yeah. It's quite a good one. It is a very good one, yes. And there she is with her truncheon, which is going to do a grand total of fuck all against the ogre. Against the ogre, yes. Silverskin was an uncontributed contribution, so she just tipped up to make up and, and said, do you know what we'll do today? This will be fun for you. When you walk on set... Just hold still for a second, I have an idea. The director and writer are the loveless. <laughs> Oh, that's big of him. Well, that looks like any academic's front room that I've ever seen with papers just scattered everywhere. I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah, funny that. Given half a chance, I would. My office, unfortunately, despite my own best efforts, looks like that. Out there, and I cannot remember the name of it, and I'm hoping somebody will write in with this. There is a strategy game for the PC. It's quite old now, but it was basically the Stones of Blood, the video game. And it was set in this abandoned town where basically the Ogre were attacking people. There was this stone circle. And even Professor Amelia Rumford is quoted in some passage in a book somewhere. I keep wanting to say the Blackstone Chronicles, but it isn't, I don't think. Anybody that knows, please do write in. You see, I don't think those, those Megara effects look particularly bad. And we've seen far worse. Yeah, we have. Fantastic early warning system he turns out to be. <laughs> 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 approaching as they're outside the window. 
Professor Rumford heard it before she did, before K9 did. She is Cesar Diplos. She is marvellously smug, isn't oh, yeah. she? And they haven't done her feet, so she's got a silvery top half, but pink feet. <laughs> the ugly prop, props were very effective, and they, it works nicely with the, um, the heartbeaty sound effect. Mm. Tom Baker had asked for his scarf to be lengthened, which is just to explain why there is that very obvious join yeah. in his scarf. Dress was hastily rearranged when a visitor to the studio noticed that she had no silver leg up on her legs or feet. Oh, it's already been spotted. Yeah. You got to you see, if you're going to do that, then don't put them in strappy sandals. All you have to do is read her memory cells. We, the Megara, are not permitted to read the memory cells of any beings, except when they are unable to present their evidence by reason of death, unconsciousness, or natural stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why she's asking the Ogre what's happening. I mean, they're she's not. known it for 4,000 years. Presumably she's worked out they're not exactly chatty. Where did she get that, that sort of surely thing from? Oh, what was that? No, the, the gurning wasn't good. Oh, it's part of the dangly bit off her headscarf. Ah, oh, right. The, the, the towel. The uh, makeup's faded somewhat. Um, and it was a, a bit artificial looking that just I must just get in the right position so that just to hit my mark it fits in with the <laughs> fits in with the prop that we have to replace <laughs> the props do fit in very prop stones do fit in very well with the um, the real ones don't they I think so yeah they've done a good Well, there you go. Hot water bottles concealed under the costumes in June. See, Rumford and Tyler would be every bit as good as Jago and Lightfoot. Oh, yes. Oh, that was a wonderful yes. little bit where she's just looking. You can't fit this thing together. And I can. And he, he's going, I'm going to have to ask you at some point, but not yet. <laughs> Having seen it again, the Newbury TARDIS, it, I'm quite fond of it. It's... um. Short and squat, but I don't know. I mean, it's this whole period of Doctor Who. I did quite. It sums it up. The the only thing that lets it down is the the interior, that black room. I just think we ran out of money for this bit, but we need some way to actually put it in a cupboard. Oh no! Did you, did you not read the the thingy about the Megara on the production notes? And they needed a a black wall so that they could have the uh, the actors who were playing the the Megara puppeteers mm. in black suits against the black wall so that all you saw was the Megara thing and it could be overlaid. No, I mean in the actual TARDIS. Yeah. But that's been there since Reboss. Well, presumably they knew this was coming. Although, wasn't there something in Reboss about it being a, a safe space or... A, oh, that does vaguely ring a bell, yes. It's outside the normal laws of the universe mm. so that it can't be detected by the, the Black Guardian. Although, presumably the Black Guardian's going to know exactly where they are if the Doctor and Romana have collected them. We will collect these things and then we'll take them into our TARDIS. Guess where we're keeping them. 
<laughs> that was very good. It was, um, it's worth it's watching a- just for Amelia Rumford. She's Beatrix Lehman really was great. I mean, she was dead the following year. The dotty old women, and and she's not actually particularly dotty. No, um, Ex- mildly eccentric. Uh, it, it's a very sort of English breed. You can't imagine that sort of character turning up with the same degree of seriousness on American telly. No, it would be the whole um, mother out of Bewitched kind of dotty character, wouldn't it? Or um, her out of Elvira. Whereas you've got Professor Rumford and Mrs. Tyler and Miss Hawthorne and... Mrs. Tyler. Don't you call me grandma. My, my very favourite Mrs. Tyler line is, it's going to come a time when I'll be too it's old for this sort of thing. thing. But we've already done Image of the Fendals, so... It, it's just... It's come to me. Um, it's called, It was called Barrow Hill, but it was um, this strategy game, and you were wandering around trying to work out... I think murders and, and mystery and things in this abandoned village, and there was a stone circle, and this was integral to uh, the, the plot of the game, but um, Amelia Rumford was certainly mentioned in one of the books that you find somewhere, um, and the Caliax in it. It's Stones of Blood, the game. Yes, so... At some point, we, we should revisit the, the key to time and do them all. Yes, it, it was a very nice recharge of the memory cells. And we're not quite finished, are we? We're not quite finished, because... Because... I am Persian. Name your price. How many Olvias? <laughs> How many Olvias does the story win? <laughs> this one... I'm assuming it's uh, Vivian Fay who... Uh... We're, we're now judging the story as a whole. But yes, it's Vivian Fay's costumes we're, we're going to look at because what else is there? There's the, there's the druids in their safety suits. Not terribly glamorous. The bird costume. The bird, the bird costume is kind of halfway there because it's terribly over the top and dramatic, but not particularly OTT feminine. However, the vision in silver... Oh, the, <laughs> the nightmare in silver. Oh, yeah, we could do that sometime. I'd rather not. There's other things. Yeah, I didn't particularly like the way they turned their Cybermen into the Borg. The Borg. It was very, very disappointing for the <sighs> Neil Gaiman script. Anyway, in terms of obvious... In, in terms of obvious, I'm hovering about a two. It's not terribly no. dramatic and overblown, but there is the, there is that silver frock with the, the, the very odd headdress and all, all the over-the-top makeup, so... Mm. It's not as drag queen deficient as something like the moon base. My, you see, <laughs> strange as it may relate, my experience of drag queens is somewhat limited, largely to a couple of outings in the dim and distant past with some mates of mine to the Hollywood Bar in Manchester, which may or may not even still be there. So that's my vision of drag queens. Would I see her on stage? <laughs> I think I would. I'd probably give her three out of five obvious. <laughs> can't believe it's it's come to this I'm reviewing drag queens holy shit <laughs> what has my life become each episode is going to eventually become segments there's going to be no reviewing of any kind well, we're, only, we're only doing the drag queen index for Doctor Who's story Doctor so Who's, yeah. it's a regular reminder of the wonder that is Siri Van Epp my head my head it's coming back I keep getting corridor people migraines Perhaps you just haven't seen enough of it. I don't remember being as drunk or out of my head on any podcast as I was for that. Threads. No, we were drunk. I do remember we... bits afterwards, though. I'd... There are serious gaps in what happened with Corridor People. Oh, in that case, you need to watch it again. No, I don't. Um... But on that note, before we before we go way, way over time, budget, and uh, drift into... Insanity. Another... Yeah. 
I will sign off this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed our Stones of Blood overview. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.